I want to talk to you today specifically about why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. Oftentimes, amongst all the very busyness of everything, uh, the actual purpose behind thank you, the coming of Christ, appreciate it, brother, goes missing. You know, it's all about sheep and shepherds, and, and it's about gifts and wise men. <laughs> if you missed last week, please make sure to go to the podcast, and we'll, uh, we discuss the wise men and who they were, how many of them were there, and why, what their reason was. But between all of the different things, the really purpose and the mission or the, 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 the reason for Christ coming falls through the cracks. And so this year, I would like for us to be reminded on that. You see, other religions and secular historians confirm that Jesus came into the world. There's no shadow of doubt that Jesus came. We have great details of men like Alexander the Great. Great details about that guy. We even know who he loved. We know a lot about this guy, but do you know that Alexander the Great lived before Jesus? You see, we have history that actually articulates the life of Christ in great detail. And so historians confirm that Jesus came, but it is actually the Bible that gives us a very clear picture of exactly who Jesus is and really why He came. We know who Jesus is. The Bible says He's the Son of God, the Son of Man. He is the seed of woman. Jesus is the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the son of David. Jesus is the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He was both the root and the branch of Jesse. He was the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and He is our Prince of Peace. His name is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can everybody say Emmanuel, God with us? See, we know exactly who it is who came into the world. We also know where he came. He was born in Bethlehem, wasn't he? As it was prophesied in Micah. There are 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament about who Jesus was going to be, what he was going to do, and the details concerning his life. More than 300 prophecies. Can you imagine that? We never have to be deceived about who the real Jesus is. He's not the Jesus of the Mormons. He's not the Jesus of Islam. He is the Jesus of the New Testament. And we know so. Why? Because He fulfilled every single one of those prophecies perfectly. So we know where He came. We also know when He came. The Bible says He came in the fullness of time. In the year that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken... And he wanted a census taken of the whole entire known world at that time. And we know that it was about 5 or 6 B.C. when Jesus was born. So in other words, we have established that we know exactly who came, where he came, when he came. We also know exactly how he came. He was born of a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. However... The most important of all questions, the pressing question of the ages, is really this. Why did He come? Why did He come? 
Why did Jesus leave heaven? Why did he come to earth? What was the reason for it? What was the purpose behind it? I'll be back. Technical issue. Don't worry about it. So why did he come to earth? What was his purpose in coming? And how does this relate to your and my life? You see, our text today outlines why he came. And it is very obvious. So let's walk through this text in 1 Timothy 1.15. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to it. 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy is right before 2 Timothy. And then we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants for us to know today. I'll continue reading out of the NASB. It says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Of whom I am foremost of all. You see, this verse captures the primary reason as to why Jesus came into the world. Paul starts this statement by saying this. He says, it is a trustworthy statement. Now, when I read that, I thought, isn't every statement in the Bible trustworthy? It is. But by him using this term trustworthy, Paul is underscoring the importance of what he is about to say next. It is a way of capturing your attention. It's almost like Jesus, he oftentimes said, truly, truly, I tell you. <laughs> you know, he was telling us anyhow but he needed, to, he needed to prefix it with, truly, truly, I'm telling you, you have to know this. This is of utmost importance. It is a trustworthy statement. What Paul is about to say in the statement is absolutely certain and is totally reliable. This statement was the bare truth condensed Reduced down to the most minimum number of words. So if there was ever a statement, Paul is saying, that you needed to believe in your life, a statement that flowed from the pen of the Apostle Paul, it's this one. This is a big statement. It's like a hinge that everything else swings on. The rest of the door hangs on this hinge. This door is functional because of this hinge. If this hinge is broken, nothing else works. So he says this is a trustworthy statement. And then he actually continues and he, and he like doubles down on it. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, the next portion, it is a trustworthy statement deserving all acceptance. In other words, nobody excluded from this. None of Christianity will make sense if you don't get this, this is the cornerstone. This is the hinge that everything hangs on. Paul is emphasizing this fact that it will be expected of each and every believer to fully accept and embrace what he's about to say here. Because what he's about to say is the very reason, is the very heart of the incarnation the very reason God became man, the incarnation. It is the very purpose of why Jesus left his heavenly home in order to come to earth as a man. So what is this weighty statement that the Apostle Paul wants for us to know? 
1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of all acceptance that, and here it is, Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. You see, Bible scholars actually looked at this and they believe that this creed that the Apostle Paul underlined, which happened to be a creed that the New, church, New Testament church, the early church, used to use as a creed. They would get together and they would quote this. They would declare this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I can see the Apostle Paul standing up saying, And I am the worst of you all. <laughs> I am chief of all sinners. But this is why Jesus came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Bible scholars believe that this creed that the early church used to quote and declare in their meetings was a combination of two different statements made by Jesus. The first statement is found in Matthew 9, 13, where he said, For I did not come, into, for I did not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. You see, Jesus is qualifying who He came for. He came for those who are plagued by this deathly disease called sin. 1 John says, if anyone says he's without a sin, he's what? A liar. Liar, pans on fire. How would you like to have a pastor that gets up here and say, like, man, I know your sins, they're bad, but guess what? I'm the worst of them all. I'm worse than anybody here. So here's the Apostle Paul. He underlines this creed that's found in Matthew 9.13. And it's constructed, secondly, by Luke 19.10, where it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and He came to save who? The lost. So putting these two verses together, Paul writes that ultimately important statement Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So let's unpack that statement for a moment, just so that we can get the weight of the very purpose and meaning of Jesus coming to the world, which is what we're celebrating today. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus. Now normally, we don't say Christ Jesus, we say Jesus Christ, don't we? Especially where I work and somebody, somebody hurts their finger when they slam it with a hammer, then I go, oh, Christ Jesus. No, they go to the other way around, right? <laughs> And I always say, like, yep, you, you, know, you need him. You don't know him, but you need him. You don't know it yet. But here Paul says Christ Jesus. Christ meaning the anointed one. The anointed one. Jesus meaning Jehovah saves. The anointed one who is Jehovah that saves you. He is the anointed one who is Jehovah that saves you. He is the anointed one, the empowered one, who is God that now came to save you. As a matter of fact, we see in that very idea that the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ is actually in His name, Christ Jesus. The next word is came. Christ Jesus came. This means that He actually descended from the heights of heaven and came to earth. He gave up everything that he had in heaven. 
the glorious, magnificent, breathtaking heaven that we cannot wrap our minds around. He left that and all his privileges and he came to earth. He left heaven and came to where the curse reigns. He left the glorious abode. He came to where the devil influences. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. He left heaven and came to mankind where they were lost and on their way to hell. This is where he came to, a hell hole. He came down into the cesspool of of iniquity. He left heaven and came down to man who is alienated and alienated from God and hostile toward God. Man who was an enemy of God. This is who Jesus came to and for. He left everything he had in heaven so that he could come down to reach his enemies. Next, we are told the purpose of his coming. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save. Can everyone say to save? To save. The world to save means to deliver. To save means to deliver. To save means to deliver someone out of a very dangerous, destructive state. It involves an intervention by one who is greater than the danger the people face. If I was captured and you came to deliver me, you would have to be, you would have to outsmart and be stronger and faster and greater than those who have captured me in order to deliver me. So it involved an intervention by one who is greater, one who is stronger than the danger and the threat of that danger, which was death. He could not come and deliver you and I if he wasn't already greater than death itself. Now, R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Saved from What? Now, if ever there was a convoluted idea, it's this one. (laughs) Saved from what? You get a million different answers, yet really there's one. And when you are saved from sin and its consequences, which is death and hell, when you are saved from that and you are rooted in Christ, suddenly this branch now bears different fruits and everything else in life changes. Now, what people really want is they want God to cause them to have different experiences in life. They want different fruits in life. But God's saying, wait, what you need to do is you need to realize you are the branch and you need to be inserted. What's the word? Engrafted, thank you, into the vine. You have to be engrafted into Christ so that you can bear the fruits that comes from Christ. So really... The basic salvation experience allows for different fruits within your life. But oftentimes we place a demand on different fruits and we pray for different fruits. But we don't want to be engrafted into the vine that allows for that to happen. Are you all with me this morning? Why so quiet? So Sproul wrote this book, Saved from What? Question mark. And he makes this case that if you listen to popular mainstream Christianity in the Western world today, you will find and, uh, that people think that Jesus came to save us from, from different things. You know, people came to save us from loneliness. 
Jesus came to save us from insecurity. Jesus came to save us from, our, from, from the bad job and, the, and the, <laughs> the boss we currently have. And he came to save us from low self-esteem. He came to save us from the single life. Jesus came to pretty up my life. But the truth is that the foundational, central, overarching reason Jesus came to save us was to save us from the wrath of God that was going to be poured out upon the sin of man. There is only one who can save from the wrath of God, and that is God Himself. That's why the Bible says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Only He can save you from His wrath against sin. The Bible says it is God's mercy that has saved us from His wrath. It is the mercy. His mercy has triumphed over what? His judgment. So notice, notice who He came for. 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. He came. He wasn't just born. He was born. Why? Because He came. Into the world, he left everything he had to come to this place to save, to deliver from sin and its consequence, which is death and eternal separation from God. But who did he come for? He came to save sinners. You see, Jesus did not come to save good people. You might be raised in a church group or a denomination or religious organization that, that makes you check boxes in order to qualify for a God, which really makes you the Savior of self, right? But that's kind of getting old, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's very obvious that we cannot save ourselves. And it's very obvious that if we could save ourselves, why did Jesus come? Why would He come for you if you already had every box checked? You didn't need Him to save you from the unchecked boxes. You wouldn't need Jesus. And that is man's sin that sends him to eternal darkness. It's the fact that he rejects Christ who came to check the boxes on his behalf. So notice this, that Jesus did not come for good people. He came for bad people. <laughs> Jesus came... For the rebel, he came for the lawbreaker, he came for God-haters, he came for those who had no merit and no righteousness of their own. Jesus came for the worst of the worst, he came for sinners. Where Jesus gives this example of the tax collector and of this Pharisee, and the Pharisee was able to check all the boxes. He says, I'm not as bad as this guy. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not, thank God, I'm not as bad as that tax collector. You see, he's the opposite of who the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul stood up in front of the congregation and he said, hey, here's my letter and I'm the worst of everyone here. Man, did I persecute God's people. And so Jesus tells a story about this Pharisee. And this tax collector who went to church or temple. And they went to go and worship God. And this Pharisee looked and he said, ah, thank God. 
God, I thank you, actually, what he says. God, I thank you that I'm not like this one. I'm not like that one. Thank God I'm better than that tax collector. Oh, God, I'm so glad I don't have their life and I'm not as bad as they are. And then he says the second thing. He says, and also, God, just to remind you that I do actually rest on the Sabbath, every Sabbath. He says, and then what I do is two twice a week, I don't eat. I fast twice a week. Pay my tithes. There's nothing I have left out. And then the second guy, the tax collector that Jesus talks about, who's a sinner, who is a God-hater all his life, he doesn't even want to look to heaven because he doesn't believe he deserves it. But he starts beating his chest, Jesus says. And he starts shouting, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Oh, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Jesus responds this way. He says, that Pharisee who had every one of his boxes checked, he will go to hell. Why? Because he's filled with pride. He has lifted himself up. He has magnified what he deems to be good, and that was self. He has seen himself as Savior of Himself. He says, and that man will be thrown into hell. But He says, this other guy, this tax collector that has never done a good thing in his life, this bad guy, this rebel who is now on his knees beating his chest saying, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. God, have mercy. He says, that humble man over there who knows he cannot save himself, that man, he will he will be saved today. Actually, Jesus said his sins will be forgiven and he will be saved. There's no other way to come to Christ. We oftentimes come, people run to Christ because they've fallen on hard times. Folks, that is not the issue. <laughs> yes, he can save you from hard times, but what he came to save you from is what we need to come to him for. And that is the saving of sins or saving from sins. Amen? So how did Jesus save us from the wrath to come? How did He save us? He saved us by His life, and He saved us by His death. Now, I had this question that really has bothered me for a long time, but I just... Somebody just helped me. He answered this question for me. Have you ever wondered, why didn't Jesus come down to earth, die on a cross that same day, rise on the th three days later, be done, and go back home? Why didn't He just come? And why was He born as an infant, and why did he live for 30 years as a human before his ministry even started? What's that all about? Why did he live? This is how he actually saved us. Yeah, the truth is that the mission of salvation was not a three-day enterprise. You see, the reason Jesus had to be born and the reason he had to be raised as a human was because he had to raise, not from the dead, but the reason he was born and raised by Mary 
was that he had to live his life under the law. He needed to obey that law perfectly so that there would be this perfect righteousness that would be deposited into your and my account when we believed in Christ. That is why he came. That is why he left heaven. That is why he was born of a woman. And that is why he entered the human race. And that is why he lived under the law. So that he could live under the law without breaking the law. So that he could be tempted in all things. I mean, there wouldn't have been a moment for him to be tempted if he never lived his life as a human. He was tempted in all things, yet he never sinned. And in this way, he would qualify as the one who could pay for your and my sins since he didn't have sin of his own to pay for. He wouldn't have conquered what we faced had he not lived where we lived. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, in that death, upon that cross, Jesus reconciled holy God with sinful man. That is what Jesus did upon that cross. He brought the two together through His blood that He shed. And this is how Jesus saved us. As He entered into the human race and He became one of us, Jesus came to this earth, he entered human, the human race, and he became one of us in order to be 100% man. You see, he had to be 100% man and 100% God because he's our intercessor. The intercessor has to stand right in the middle of both parties. Only Jesus could have stood in the middle and brought the two offended parties together. You see, the truth is that Jesus came for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose for us. And now He intercedes for us. He came for us because God loved you. You know, the Bible says that God gave you to Jesus to love. For God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. He lived for us as a perfect life under the law. Then He died for us as He paid the penalty for our sins. And then the Bible says He rose from the dead for us. And the moment He rose, we were justified. And now He intercedes for us before God the Father on a daily basis. This is why God is good. Now then Paul concludes with this, which... I find it so dramatic in a way. <laughs> he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. He says, I am the chief of all sinners. Did you know that in the year 55 A.D., the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, 9. 
He says, for I am the least of the apostles. That was in the year 55 after Jesus. Then, six years later, in the year 61 after Jesus, Paul writes Ephesians 3 verse 8, and he says, I am the very least of all the saints. And then, about five years after that, run about 65 after Christ, Paul writes Timothy 1 verse 15, and he says, among whom I am foremost of all. In other words, I am the chief of all sinners. So he has gone from, I'm the least of all the apostles, to I'm the least of all the saints, and he ends up with, I am the least, I'm the least, I'm the worst of all sinners. You see, humility, a biblical humility is not what man thinks humility is. The Apostle Paul understood humility because the more he learned about God and himself, the more humble he became. This is what Paul is saying here. If God can save me, he can save you. Imagine Paul as a pastor standing in front of a church saying to his members, if God can save me, trust me, he can save you. I am the chief of all sinners. He's saying, if God can save me the worst of all, it doesn't matter what you've done. He can save you. So I want to encourage you to see yourself as someone who cannot be saved unless Christ saves you. You have no other choice. He is not the only one because he's a narcissist and he wants to be the only one. No, he's the only one because there are no other options. Nobody successfully lived on this earth for 30 years without breaking the law. We have no other option but Jesus. He is the only one. Why? Because He is the only one that was able to fulfill 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament. We have no other option. He is the only one. That's why we have to see ourselves as somebody who cannot be saved unless Christ Jesus saves us. See yourself as absolutely lost without Christ. Rid yourself of that pride. Rid yourself of that confidence in self. Rid yourself of the strength in the flesh. See yourself as totally and utterly dependent upon Christ's work on the cross. Because without depending and hoping and trusting in Christ for salvation, without falling upon Christ for eternal redemption, Christmas is empty. Christmas is meaningless. And that person, that person's Christianity does not exist. So I want to encourage you today, know this, that Jesus is good. God is good. And He's always good no matter what you go through. Why? Because what the truth is already there. And the truth is that He came for you. The truth is that He lived His life for you. So a righteous human can die on your part. He came to earth as God so that He can rise from the dead on your behalf. He died for you so you can be washed. He rose from the dead for you so you can be justified. And now daily He intercedes for you. Why? So you can be righteous before God every day, all day long. You see, this is the good news of the gospel. Why did Jesus come? He came to save you.
Do not resist him today. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, today, we are so grateful. We are so humbled. Because we realize who Jesus is. We realize that he came. We know where he came, where he was born. We know so much about his life, but do we know why he came? And are we willing to come to him for that reason? Today, God, I'm asking you to do a great work in every heart in this room. That not one person will ever be able to say, God, I did not know. But God, I thank you that today we will be like that tax collector who will call out, God, have mercy upon me. Thank you that your mercy has triumphed over your judgment in my life. That I can depend upon you for what you have done for me. It was your mercy that allowed Jesus to come for me, to save me for himself that I might be a part of his bride. Thank you, God, for this wonderful plan of salvation. We are so humbled by it. And today, we turn around from putting our faith in ourselves and we turn to Christ and we say, today, we believe in you. We do not see ourselves as saving ourselves. We see ourselves saved because of what Jesus did. And Lord, today, I pray that your word that is an incorruptible seed, will be sown into the hearts of every person here and every person watching live online. And that this incorruptible seed will not return void, but it will accomplish what it was sent forth to do in the mighty name of Jesus. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen.